Let's take it to the edge. Let's get the flipped. Let's talk about the night. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. Hey guys, I'm Dan Eastland and welcome to Knife Perspective. Knife Perspective, where you go to get... Kyle, do we have a tagline yet? I don't think so. Oh, and let me introduce my co-host, Kyle Daly of KH Daily Knives. And um, why don't we have a tagline yet? Yeah, it's on the never-ending list of things to do. You know, that that really feels like a co-host duty. So between now and the next episode, I really expect you to come up with something. Yeah, we'll work on it. <laughs> you know, that sounds like my wife's. I'll get right to it. Yep. Word from our sponsor. Today's sponsor is KH Daily Knives for all your knife needs, kitchen, and bushcraft. Both of us were at Blade Show this year and plan on doing this. Is, this episode is a wrap-up episode of what we saw, some of the people we met, and things that uh, we thought were interesting and some of the things we got at the show. Yeah, that, that that feels like more than a word from a sponsor, and like you're trying to hone in on my uh, my host gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm watching you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So, Blade Show overview. How was it for you this year? Because this is your second year. Yeah, I've been there five times. Uh, two. This is my second year with a table. It was a lot. Knew a lot more to expect this year than I did last year from being on the other side of the table. That was something that I wasn't quite expecting my, my first year of just what, what people were going to be asking me things that were going to happen the whole show where you go for what. Luckily I had some, some good people that I could, could lean on that first year. And this year I didn't quite have to ask people what was going on nearly as much. What was your number one question this year? I'm not exactly sure. So I, I got asked, what hardness do I take my knives to a lot? Which I think is a weird question, just personally. I don't know. And then people people would keep would then tell me how they felt like I should harden my steel. <laughs> so that was kind of weird. One of the questions that I got a ton last year was if I had any pairing knives. And I brought 13 pairing knives to the show this year and uh, – <laughs> Didn't really sell any of them. <laughs> the, the one true thing that I've learned about Blade Show is whatever people wanted last year, they're not going to want this year. Yeah. Luckily, the pairing knives were small, so they could knock a bunch of those out quick. Yeah. And those are good for the website because mm -hmm. for me, every chef has either an 8 or a 10-inch knife and a pairing knife. No matter mm -hmm. what station you work, you're going to have those two knives in your roll. So you'll never get stuck long-term with pairing knives. Yeah. Uh, we still, one of those might make it into our knife block. I've tried to make a pairing knife for me for the last three years or so, and always ends up somebody calling me in a panic right when I'm getting ready to put a handle on one that says I need one for a, a kit or a graduation gift or different things. Yeah. My, uh, my knife block is kind of the, the knife mock of misbegotten toys. 
when I get that aesthetic flaw that I can't sell it, but it's completely functional, that's the one that comes home with me. Yep. Uh, and I've, I've caught myself occasionally going, you know, Dan, if you leaned in just a little bit, you could take this one home. And it's the whole <laughs> good angel, bad angel on my shoulder. No, no, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Scuff it up. That's good. Beth gives me a hard time that, uh, that all of our knives are ugly knives. I have to explain that they're beautiful each in their own way. I've seen some of the knives in your knife block and they look pretty darn good to me. Well, thank you. I, I, sometimes the flaw is, is a little harder to see than others. Yeah. Much like me. That was one of the things like you just agonize over all those knives going up to the show. And then I have uh, some magnetic boards. I have my, my blades all mounted on, which I got a lot of questions about those more. That probably was my most, most asked question was how I made those magnetic boards. Then I just see little, little flaws underneath the, the bright lights of uh, Nicholas uh, impregnated wood that was next yeah. to me. And it was like, Oh <laughs> man, it, the, the moment of truth, like when I really tense up, is I'll work under the shop lights and then I step outside and put it in the sunlight. And that's the moment of truth. And as I'm walking over to the shop door, I always have that tense moment of, all right, what am I going to see? Oh, hey, wow, it's okay. I'm, I'm good with this. Unfortunately, most of the time I get to work on my knives is when the, the boys are in bed. So it's all under cover of darkness anyway. Yeah, that's true. You, uh, you do the whole vampiric uh, night owl knife making thing. Yeah. I remember those days. When I was getting getting ready, I was gluing the handles together before Memorial Day, trying to make sure I got all those done by the end of Memorial Day to shape them. And my phone started buzzing and beeping. And it was my alarm to get up for 5 a.m. the next day. <laughs> that was a long day the next day at work. When uh, I My shop used to be in the basement, especially when Beth would travel. I'd put the kids to bed clean up dishes and go down and start making knives. And there were a couple of times when the alarm would go off and I'd look, and like, Oh, it's time to get the boys up for the bus. Yeah. You know, those are going to be a high caffeine day the next day. You know, it, the first, the first time it happens doesn't really bother me, but I'd get on a run and like day three or four, when you get an hour's worth of sleep and you wake up and your eyes are itchy and you're kind of nauseous. It, I always know that's going to be a rough day for me. You know, when you start running it really deep into the sleep deficit. Yeah. Oddly enough, that's usually when I also wound up at the ER getting sutures. Oh, yeah. That's definitely high on my list of things not to do. You know, I have sold knives to two separate PAs that sutured me in the ER. Really? Yeah. It's not a bad direction to go if you're having a little bit of a slow spot. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. I, I, had, uh, I was sharpening one and it was... Uh, it was simple carbon. It was a kitchen knife, so it was slathered in white mineral oil. Mm -hmm. And it slipped, and it probably only fell an inch or two, but laid the back of my finger open. And I was in the ER, and he was suturing me. He said, what would you do this with again? I said, knife I was working on. He said, did you, did you draw it across? I said, no, it, you know, it just slipped and fell and hit me. He goes, really? This is like a suture clean or a, a scalpel clean cut. This, this is really impressive. Do you have a business card? <laughs> I wound up selling him three knives. Nice. Yeah. Hey, you know, you just got to find that silver lining. Yeah. And by the time I paid my copay off, I about broke even on the deal. Yeah. It's, uh, some of those medical bills can really, really add up. What were some of the, the best things that you had at uh, Blade Show? Um, 
for me, a big part of it for me is always getting to see people. I've gotten to be friends with people and I don't even know their real name, Like they'd come up and say, Hey, and introduce themselves. And then they'd have to tell me their, their online handle. Yep. So I know that exact same feeling. Yeah, It's a great chance to talk to some people that I already know and put a name with a face. There's also, there's a lot of guys that I only get to see once a year at blade and that's the upside. Yep. And I love that feeling of Thursday afternoon when the booth is set. Because it's it is sleep deprived hell for about six weeks out, up until the day the booth is set up, and then at about four o'clock on Thursday afternoon, when everything's done, it starts to get fun again. That's when I walk around and say hey to people and just kind of relax. And at that part, it starts to be fun again. Luckily, you had some help this year with uh, setting up some of your stuff. Yeah, I, uh, this this crazy old kind of Einstein looking guy in a, a light blue shirt kept coming by yeah. and helping me out. It was phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the beautiful things about having a table. It doesn't take nearly as long to set up as a booth. Yeah. The advantage for me on the booth is I've got more room to stash my stuff and I don't do well in crowds. So I get a little more room in the booth. I've done tables a couple of times and I just, I don't do well when I'm that close to people. Although, I, although it looks like I'm going to do a table at blade show West this year. So we'll see, uh, we'll see how it goes. Excellent. You'll be our reporter in the field on that one. I'm going to try. I've got some East Coast buddies, um, like Andy Tran with Inner Bark and uh, John at Wingman 115 that never may be able to make it out to the East Coast. So I'm looking forward to, to, to checking out Blade Show West, see how it goes. There's a good culinary market out on the West Coast, and uh, I'll get to see some of those guys that, that never make it over to the East Coast. Do a show or do the show and a little bit more travel around there. You know, I'm going to try to, um, not much cause it'll be, I think that's late November, which is football season for both my kids. So depending on their game schedule and whether, when they have a bye week, I'll, uh, I'll hopefully be able to see some people. Yeah. So for me at the, the show, I entered two knives in the, the blade show awards. Uh, I didn't win either of them, but I did the new knife maker that's, uh, for people under, under five years of making knives. And then, uh, Best Kitchen Knife had a seven-inch Nakiri in for Best Kitchen Knife and seven-inch Santoku that I made both with Alabama Damascus in for New Knife Maker. And after the after the judging, I learned that Ethan Becker was one of the judges. And if I knew that, I would have flipped because I know Ethan loves Santoku. So <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, my table this year I was uh, really close to the front, which was really nice last year. My table was 24-0, and a lot of people confuse that for being a booth. This year, I was three double B, right up the right up at the front, and I was in between um, two of the two of the most expensive parts of knife making, which is abrasive, abrasives and handle material. So, Nicholas of uh, Nicholas Impregnated Wood. They don't have really any social media. They have a, they had a Facebook for a while and it's kind of dwindled off, but they make some, some beautiful stabilized wood and then Phoenix abrasives on the, the other side of me, tons and tons of uh, abrasive belts. I love Nicholas's. And if I remember correctly, the last time I ordered, I still had to call in the order. Yeah. That's um, what he says. He says, give me a call. Tell me colors and materials i'll send you a send you a box full of them pick through what you want and send me back what you don't it was like all right 
on his on his blocks in the very corner, it'll say Nicholas, and it'll have a phone number. And a lot yep. of times, I have to rub it with Sharpie and then wipe my finger over it so it'll contrast. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rough, and the worst day is when I put that piece on a handle, and then I'm searching through the blocks at the shop trying to find the one with his phone number on it. Yeah. Well, luckily, I ended up take bringing home. Uh about, or I think it was 54 blocks I mm. ended up getting from him. When when nobody was at my table, I was walking around the front of my table and then looking at his blocks under the light, and the next thing I knew, I kept throwing more and more blocks into my box. You were over there by Shade Tree, too, weren't you? I didn't actually know where they were. I didn't actually find them this year. They were like four rows directly behind you. Really? Yep. Oh, I uh, missed them then. They're the ones that make my uh, starry night. Uh, my carta. Yep. I've used that a couple times. Oh, have you? From uh, Shade Tree, yep. Looks really cool. Yeah, it, uh, that was a fun project. Uh, so, anything you would like to see better next year at Blade Show? Other than, obviously, better judging and Knife Maker, knife maker of the Year and Kitchen Knife of the Year. Yeah. I would really like to see them get the Wi-Fi set up better so that people could actually post and do social media. So here's the here's the dirty secret on that. I I, I should have told you this already. You got to pay a hundred bucks and get the uh, get access to their routers. Well, I I know that's for for us as yeah. uh, exhibitors, but oh. I was talking about all all of the the fans themselves. Yeah, I, I I knew a bunch of people that weren't able to make the show, and they knew a lot of people that were going to the show, and they just. They were trying to upload photos and stuff, and they weren't able to do it. Yeah, connectivity is crap in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and cellular signal is just about worthless. Yep. That's that probably the thing I'd like to see done better. And then uh, you and I talked a little bit about the VIP tickets, uh, which they changed to customer appreciation passes. Oh, man, I was about to absolutely raise hell. I'm glad you started this. <laughs> yeah, that, those were... Um, I didn't really like that they closed people being able to get those in May, May 3rd. I know it said all over their email and stuff, but I knew a lot of people that were still trying to make the decision if they were going to be able to go in May. So that bothered me, but I could work past that. What, what upsets me more is that they let, they started selling early bird tickets that lets you undercut the VIPs or the customer appreciation by an hour. Yeah. That was the same way it was last year though. Yeah, and it, it it bothered me last year, too. I mean, we get a limited number of the, the VIP passes that we can give to people. And that's that's something I can do for you know, a really dedicated customer or a customer that is really passionate about my work. You know, it, it's something I can do to help benefit the people that are really in the community. And then to let some schmuck come in and undercut them by an hour. I mean, the whole idea is... This is a way for me to let really passionate people get in there and get the first choice and really appreciate everything that's there. Mm-hmm. And then to let somebody just buy in under them without without really putting the, the commitment to time or really having the passion that the, the VIPs have. And that just doesn't seem right to me. Yeah, I totally get where you're coming from there. Well, good, because I put your name on the very angrily worded letter that I sent to Blade Show. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it was the least I could do. I mean, I didn't put my name on it. I just put your name on it. Throwing around some of your podcast swagger? Yeah, yeah. Hey, th- 
this is episode zero zero three. Yep. So what were what were some of the the new knives you had on your table this year? Uh, the really big knife was the new Dogwood Capheart, and that is kind of the pinnacle of what has been a really educational project. That one of those almost came home with me. I was really close to to buying it, but ended up spending too much money on other making materials. Yeah, well, I know a guy that'll hook you up. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, because you know, I, I assume you know, but that Ethan's Ethan Becker's got the only one that's completely intact. Yep. Um, and I was really fortunate because we're friends, but and he knows I'm a maker, but he also knows that I had four years of Votech as a mechanical draw uh, mechanical draftsman. Mm-hmm. So when he wanted a set of drawings, I got he tapped me. And I got really fortunate in that I spent a weekend with a micrometer and a curve reproducer and got to make a set of drawings. And when I was very when I was done, he said, he said, well, do you have a copy for you? And I was, no, sir. It's not what you asked me to do. He said, well, you put all this time in. So I made a set for me. And he just said, look, once once my version is out, then you can do something of your own. And I wanted to go from the concept of let's take this pattern that's so proven and give it a modern twist. You know, let's use modern technology. So I, I did the, I did it in particle steel. I didn't taper the tang. I drilled it instead, which you know, that cut the cost by about 80 bucks. It cost me about 80 bucks to taper tang. It cost me about two bucks to drill the holes. And it took me a little while to do the math on, where how much material is taken out as the tang tapers and where to put the hole. But that has been a, a huge hit is like, I like to say the, the cap heart that Horace would have made if he were alive today. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely is a sweet knife. Well, thank you. I, you know, my knives are like my children. I'm proud of all of them, but that's the one that's, that's like the star athlete and the straight A student and never started smoking pot and that I can really be proud of. Not that you have to do any of those things. Kids are <laughs> going to listen to this podcast. I love each and every one of you equally, but in a different way. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. And then the the new K-tip. Yeah, I love the Santuku shape, but some of the chefs I was working with, they loved the, the shape of the belly of the edge, especially for rock cutting, rock chopping. But they also do tip work, and not having a fine tip on that knife really made it a handicap for him. So by putting that hard drop on it, that little K tip on the, what has been the West, the West Tuku style pattern of mine is really kind of made it a more broad, broad spectrum kitchen knife. And that, that did really well this year. Yeah. That was one of the, one of the critiques I got from Ethan Becker with uh, my Santoku was trying to make that tip a little bit more pointy instead of, how I have the nose rounded a lot more. Which is a traditional version. But mm-hmm. yeah, by clipping that point, uh, a lot of chefs like to use that tip, especially for onions and garlic and some other things. Yeah. Plus it gives it a little sex appeal. It, it makes it look like it's moving. Mm-hmm. And one of the things my mentor taught me was if it's not sexy enough for somebody to pick it up, they'll never know how good a knife it is. There's a lot of be a lot of truth to be said in that. Yeah. 
Um, so now I believe it is time for us. Uh, I guess it's not a word from a sponsor. It's a, a word from our dealers. Uh, and you and I are both carried by Old Town Cutlery. Old Town Cutlery at oldtowncutlery.com for the finest in kitchen knives. Be sure to look for KH Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives. If you don't see it, call and tell those jackasses they need to buy some more knives from us. Yeah, they they took a bunch of my knives on, so they're they're get, working on getting them uploaded to the website. Those cheap bastards, they only took like two of mine. Oh, I am so calling them right now. <laughs> yeah, mine are on consignment, so they, they haven't actually paid me yet. I, I, I went with the whole, you know how you have to pay rent? Well, I got to pay rent too, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's the fortunate part of doing it part-time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, way to drive down the prices. You. <laughs> it's still the same price. Just they, I get paid when they get paid. Uh, you know, quit being so nice. You need to charge them more and be harder to work with. It'll make yeah. my life easier, and that's really what this is all about. I also want to give a shout-out to uh, Knife Center. Uh, that'd be knifecenter.com. They, uh, actually, they've got six of the cap hearts, so if you want to try one of those new cap hearts I've been bragging about, uh, knifecenter.com has got them. Uh, they've also got a couple of the kitchen knives, and I think they've still got a couple of the fish and fowl. That's KnifeCenter.com. KnifeCenter.com for all your other cutlery needs. Yeah, that fish and fowl knife is a uh, – that's the one that's the really good as a steak knife too, right? It is. Um, matter of fact, the um, the Onsuke group in Atlanta uses it for uh, steak knives. Yeah, I think I saw a picture of your Saturday night uh, group all holding up uh... – Holding up one of those when you went to go eat. I'm not going to lie. I had kind of a, I, a giggly, I made it knife maker moment. Because um, I knew they bought them. I knew they were using them. But when I walked in the restaurant and saw the, the place settings with my knives on it, I might have kind of giggled a little bit. I mean, that was all on the inside. On the outside, I was all manly like, hey, you know, whatever. But on the inside, I, I might have giggled like a 12-year-old girl. That's awesome. It was, uh, it, it was a I made it moment. I'm not going to lie. Very cool. Oh, yeah. Now we're going to talk about the, the new stuff that we saw at the show. Yep. You want to start or you want me to? You can. Because I'm looking at the show notes and I'm seeing a distinct lack of material under Kyle. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna I got it. I got it all written on over here. Yeah, hey, sure you do. I want to distract everybody and just kind of stall for a minute and add some extra words while you while you type that in. Yeah. Um, so, one of my favorite words is chatoyant. It's a. It's, I learned about it when I was doing woodworking. That's the the inner light, the ref, reflectivity of, uh, in this case, of wood. And there is a company that does chatoyant carbon fiber. And it is freaking awesome. Um, I know him as Johnny Blazy, and I am I am going to slaughter the pronunciation of his name of the company name because I'm dyslexic and it's hard to say. So I'm going to spell it for y'all. It is D I C H R O L A M L L C. Johnny Blazy on Instagram, and he does some stuff. It is. It appears to be ingrained carbon fiber, but it has got this deep inner reflective light to it that you normally only see in woods like uh, mahogany or fiddleback maple. That, that that inner light 
Mm-hmm. And he's doing it in carbon fiber, and it is freaking awesome. I really love that end cut stuff with uh, all the different waves. I, I like that on carbon fiber and in Micarta. It just gives it a super cool look. And he does some uh, – I've got some now that uh, it's got this purple-blue metallic depth to it. So it's carbon fiber, but in the waves of the carbon fiber, as the depending on the angle of the light it hits it, it's – shifts from blue to purple. Um, wow. I originally got it. Well, I brought it to the booth because Beth wasn't paying attention and I walked away with some cash and I came back and she, you know, she did the whole, what do you got there? And I was about to get a lecture and I showed it to her and she goes, Oh, okay. That's awesome. I want a set of those. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be one of those beauty knives that uh, is in your rack now. Yeah. Uh, that actually might be a perfect knife that winds up at the house. Yeah. Uh, and then for me, I've always been frustrated with uh, synthetic pins. I mean, you've got natural micarta or black micarta, and then you've got black G10 or white G10, and that's it. And I for love carbon fiber or for carbon fiber. Well, actually, Which for a, still color, still the same color. Yeah, and I like to. I like to compare and contrast with my liner colors. So like if I've got that little touch of blue, I'd love to do a blue pen. Um, mm-hmm. Atlas materials who I always thought of them for like, I'll buy bulk uh, Micarta from them. Like I'd get a four by eight sheet of Micarta from them because they give great prices and they'll cut it up into like 12 by 12 squares for me. I didn't realize that their parent company is a huge G10 and Micarta manufacturer and they mm-hmm. have answered my prayers and are now doing colored G10 uh, rod stock. Yeah. That was actually a, a funny story that you bring up that. So Dan Anderson, uh, I was getting beer for the, the pit on Saturday um, across the, across from the Waverly at the wine and more. And, uh, so I, I ended up, I had my, my blue cage daily knives polo shirt on and <laughs> they actually thought that I was one of the people that worked at the store. <laughs> so, so he was talking to me about craft beer and stuff and, um, they're actually, uh, in Wheeling, Illinois, which is really close to me. It's like 25 minutes away. So, uh, him and I started talking and I'm going to try to make a, uh, a trip up there. Yeah, I, I'm impressed with them. Like I said, I, I knew that they did um, – uh, actually, apparently they were originally pool tables and pool cues, mm-hmm. uh, which I knew about. And I, I had always just thought of them as a, a bulk uh, Micarta dealer. Uh, they've also got to call in to find out how porous it is because they've got a synthetic ivory. Yeah. And if it is non-porous the way I think it is – that's going to be awesome on knife handles for kitchen knives. Yeah. I believe he gave me a piece of that to try in three sixteenths thick. And I'm pretty sure he said it was uh, FDA approved. I, I know he said the, um, oh, I just drew a blank on the name of the material, but it looks like snake or dragon scales. Yeah. The raffier. Um, I think is- well, they do that too, but no, this is, I mean, it really looks like snake scales. It'll come okay. to me in a minute while I stall, but uh, that that's got an FDA approved. And if okay. the ivory is, that's going to be awesome because we can start doing old school brass and ivory, you know, 1920 looking knife handles. 
And we don't have to worry about it warping and stuff like the the ivory did. Well, in the warping, my bigger concern is, especially with kitchen knives, is hygiene. You know, if it's porous, that's places for bacteria and that kind of stuff to grow. And especially in commercial kitchens, that's a huge concern. That's why I'm really hesitant to do natural materials for chefs unless I know that they're the kind of guy that's going to put the time into oiling and waxing and really maintaining those handles. But if it's if it's FDA approved, I can't wait to run with that. Yeah, uh, don't quote me on that, but I I'm, I think that's what he said, or they were or they were working on it. I mean, I love you like a brother. I trust you. You're a knowledgeable knife maker. But yeah, I've got to call into him. <laughs> uh, he, he gave me a block of that raffir stuff, which is like real fine mesh screen uh, stuff too. That um, I think is going to be really cool. I'm excited to try that out. I've done it on a couple of knives, and it uh, it looks when I polish it up, it looks almost like corn husk. Because hmm. I've done yeah. that, and I've done the the shaving of aluminum. It looks like little aluminum shavings. I think they yep. call it confetti. That finishes out really nicely too. So, any other any other things you saw that was cool at the show? Uh, there was a lot of cool, but those were the two kind of new that really stuck out to me. What about you? So uh, one of the things that I had been super interested about for a long time and actually got to, to use at the show this time was the WorkSharp uh, Ken Onion grinder attachment yeah. for the WorkSharp. And I get asked a bunch to come to people's houses and sharpen their kitchen knives and stuff when I'm over. So bringing my uh, stones and stuff is pretty much the only thing that I've been able to do. And lots of times I get there and the edge has big nicks in it and stuff like that. Yep. Uh, and I actually got to, to use it and they, they go, the great thing is we got a show special. So I ended up coming home with one of those pretty excited about getting a little case to bring that to when I sharpen knives for people. And then uh, the other very cool thing I saw uh, on those same lines was the hardcore grinder booth. They had a new grinder, and I don't even, the guy that was working there um, didn't know what its actual name was, but it was <laughs> one of their brand, brand new ones that he said wasn't even up on their website at the time. So um, that one was super cool. Just as an engineer, all the anodized blue aluminum and everything, <laughs> gets it gets me going. Well, and you, you're full on geeked out. I mean, you've got the water-cooled platens and the... The, the whole setup on yours, don't you? Yeah, I've used that, and um, I still have yet to use it on uh, custom um, rotary platen. Nathan, the machinist on Blade Forms, he made some C plates for the KMG, yep. and he machined in a third hole and had like an additional piece you could bolt to it and turn it into a, th a three-wheel rotary platen. So I've been starting to learn how to try to do that. He said um, using the water-cooled water, water -cooled platen with a regular steel platen behind it works a lot like the Moen platen that the hardcore grinder guys. Now, by rotary platen, do you mean like for doing convexes? Well, then then you actually have the, the steel back behind the rubber belt. Hmm. Um, so the hardcore grinders, they have a Mo, what they call the Moen platen, and it actually has a fan somehow 
geared into the wheels. So it helps, they don't have it water-cooled. That yeah. helps keep that piece of carbide behind the belt cool from the friction. All right. I'm running just the straight K&G, and I use the, it's a three-wheel rotary platen with the rubber belt. Mm-hmm. Um, which gets hot as hell. Yeah. I, I know a couple of people that have gotten them. Uh, Tom Crine was one of them, and he said that thing is pretty awesome. I'm going to have to look it, into that. Gives you gives you a little bit more forgiving on your your bevels. Um, now, when you're using that, do you walk down the belt as you work up towards the uh, spine, or do you use a single point and change the angle that you address it at? The way I grind is I usually grind the the tip to the thickness that I want it to go, and then walk the try to walk that grind bevel up towards the spine. Because I'll start, um, you know, as you get closer to the wheels, the tension is greater. Mm-hmm. So I'll start up close to the top wheel and set my edge. And then I'll walk down as I'm, as my grind moves towards the spine, I'll make passes closer towards the middle of the, uh, middle of the platen because there's less tension there and it'll, it'll walk up towards the spine and, and give you that that high curve. Okay. I haven't really used my rotary platen much for the actual bevel yet. I've mainly used it a bunch for handle material. Oh, okay. just haven't had a lot of time to play with it. You know, it... So most of my stuff is on the flat platen and the disc. When I was in Andy's shop, it was almost all convexes, and that's all I was doing. And then when I went to kitchen knives, I did a couple of convex kitchen knives, and the chefs that were doing field testing for me just raised hell because they had so much muscle memory built into using the the flat of the blade as a guide. Mm -hmm. And then with a convex, you've got to constantly make micro adjustments as you're cutting. And they're used to just locking it in an angle and making a long slice. Uh, Okay. uh, So I, when I went back to, working flat lines, I almost had to start all the way over from the beginning because I had done convex for so long. Gotcha. And now I've got to completely change my headspace when I go from convex to flat. Very cool. No, it's a pain in the butt. (laughs) (laughs) If I haven't done convex in a long time, like if I've been doing kitchen knives for a couple of months and it's time to do an outdoor convex, I'll dig in the the bucket of knives that'll never be and, and find something that's just roughed out and get my get my hip my nips out and my, my mistakes out because I've got to change my headspace. So I'll take a ruined blade and get the feel for a convex again, and then I'll do a, a run a convex. Okay, it's just a very different beast. Looks like you had a somebody that came to interview at your booth, also. I did. Um, again, the it's nice to see people when I'm at Blade Show, and it's an also a chance for industry guys to kind of get together. I had survival on purpose, come by the booth and do an interview on the cap heart, which was a lot of fun. He's a, a pretty knowledgeable guy and he's very outdoor specific. And I had spent a lot of times about talking about kitchen knives. So it was a great chance to kind of change up and talk about, uh, talk about the new cap heart, which I don't know if you know about this, but I'm really proud of that new pattern. I like to talk about it. Yep. 
so we had some fun talking to, and it was a new audience for me. So we got to talk about the cap part and um, some of the Firefly handles and some of the uh, computer uh, motherboard handles I do. And then uh, Knife Center, the incredible, amazing, generous, very fair, phenomenal business people at Knife Center uh, came by to talk to me as well. Always have a good time with the really incredible people at Knife Center. I don't know if you've checked out KnifeCenter.com yet, but you really should. They have really good prices on a lot of knives and also have a ton of custom knives. Uh, and they've really been pushing. They've been great to work with. I mean, um, obviously, I'm being a little bit of a schmuck because they sell my knives. But in all seriousness, they have been great to work with. Some dealers, you get kind of a competitive relationship they're trying to make as much on your knives as they possibly can, and they're not terribly concerned about you. Knife Center, kind of like Old Town, they're about the community. They've got the perspective of there's enough money for all of us. We don't need to to beat you up, and they're all about mm-hmm. a fair deal. So you know, all BS aside, they have been really great to work with. Very good. Any shout-outs you want to give? Makers, people that came by, beautiful women. One of the one of the guys that uh, has helped me out a bunch with uh, knife making, Dylan Fletcher, talked with him a bunch and had dinner with him on Friday. Uh, he actually now owns my one fifth scale HPI buggy RC car, ah. and he's he's going to make me a big chopper knife with all sorts of file work and stuff on it. And Hidman is uh, his son Fury are uh, super excited about it. He got a he got a call. Cause he, he brought it home with him on Friday. He got a call when Fury got up on Saturday, he left it on the coffee table. He goes, dad, dad, the, there's a car in the middle of the living room. You got to get home now. <laughs> so, uh, Dylan, Dylan gave me a, gave me a text on, uh, it was a couple of days after the show. They took it for their first spin and his wife was driving it and he goes, all right, drive it slow and don't hit Fury. <laughs> She she drove it slowly into fury. <laughs> so that was pretty cool to catch up with him. I'm excited about that. Uh, Patrick Warman of uh, MT Knives. Um, I've met him a couple times. It's always great to see him. His uh, Instagram handle is mtknivesnet. Um, so you definitely should check him out. He's got a bunch of really cool stuff. I got to meet... Uh, Paxton of 5050 Forge that uh, is on Instagram. He didn't have a table. Uh, Patrick didn't have a table either, but uh, I actually made a pairing knife with uh, some of Paxton's uh, low layer Damascus. And when he came by the table, he goes, uh, that looks so good. I'm going to need to give that to my dad for father's day. So uh, that was the only pairing knife that left my table. You know, that is, that's a very high praise when somebody in the industry not just wants it, but wants it as a gift. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, one of the things that I was totally surprised with is uh, Jess Hoffman. He's a, a knife maker out of Wisconsin, and I've uh, bought a bunch of wood from him, but have never had never gotten one of his knives before. And uh, I saw him at the show, and he was doing a giveaway for one of his designs that uh, was a one-off. It's like almost like a scimitar-ish, like, uh, like probably like a four or five-inch knife. Um, so you drop your drop your business card in there, and he was going to raffle it off. And I actually ended up winning it. Has a a really cool green green handle. I'll try to post a picture of it. He had a 
a really good picture of before he, he raffled it off. Was, wasn't something I would normally buy, but really cool stuff. And then uh, I got to, to meet Jeff Fader of Fader Knives. He's on the uh, Knife Talk podcast. Um, him and I have worked worked and done some stuff before. I've made some leather sheaths for him over the years. And uh, really cool guy. Uh, Jake from the Knife Nuts podcast. That was uh, another cool guy to meet. Listening to their Blade Show wrap-up, he, uh, he said that he had his own nomination for Kitchen Knife of the Year, and he said me, so that was pretty cool. Hey! Uh, he, uh, he was really impressed with how thin everything was ground and really liked the file work on the knives. That is a nice touch. I, uh, I'm going to grudgingly have to uh, spend a little time learning file work. I can help you out if you'd like to like to learn some. Uh, I'd like to, but I don't know if my ego can take it just yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a it's a tedious process, man. And then I got to meet three of the four people on the Bark of the Maker podcast. Uh, so Tom Crine, I actually did his knife grinding university class out in the parking lot. How was that? Luckily, we got it done before it started downpouring rain again which was the theme throughout the weekend. They almost didn't have the world champions uh, knife sports uh, competition because of the rain. Yeah. They ended up bringing that into the, to the hallway <laughs> of, the, uh, of the, and there was a big debate because of the water. There was uh, there was a little bit of a standoff between uh, insurance for the, the building on. Okay. Apparently they were concerned about wet floors and people with sharp objects running around. I don't know. Sounds kind of nanny state to me, but uh, that almost didn't happen this year. Yeah, but the the university thing was good. It was if you didn't know anything about grinding, it was really beneficial. Um, I he was one of the things that it said he was going to talk about was some of the ergonomics and things. I had taken uh, the class uh, three years ago. Uh, took the first two introductory ones, and those kind of bled over into the third one. Personally, I didn't get out get as much out of it as I was kind of hoping to, but Tom did an excellent class uh, for especially for people getting into it. Got to talk to him for a while, and he he came over, and I talked to him about my knives and stuff. He gave me some some good tips and tricks, so made up for it after the <laughs> the, uh, the class. And then I got to meet Mark Steiner. He is super cool. He's on the he works for GM as an engineer and uh, I'm an engineer too. And uh, we do some work for GM also at Navistar. And uh, it was just great to talk to him and uh, show him some of my knives. And then uh, Michael Birch was the other person I got to talk to down in the pit, uh, gave him a beer and uh, we talked for, for, talked for a little while. It was great to see him. I somehow missed Sean Kendrick the whole, whole weekend who was the fourth person on there. But uh, hopefully I'll get to see him next year. That's not a bad little uh, collection of names you just dropped there. I'm, I'm a little impressed. Yeah, so I ended up buying one of their Mark of the Maker uh, podcast cups. And uh, cool. I've got number number seven of 75. Uh-huh. So they're, they're hand, handmade, hand-thrown cups in this blue with green, greenish top. I'm not a big coffee drinker, but makes for an excellent pen holder next to my computer here. Ah, man, you're breaking my heart. I love both blue and green and drink the sh- – uh, I drink a lot of coffee. 
I think they or Tom's selling them on his uh, website. If uh, you want to, yeah, I'm gonna. I think they still had some left after the show. I'm gonna check that out right now. I'm also gonna give a plug to De Espresso Libre, my preferred coffee provider. Um, it's a, okay. a group of um, former and current Green Berets who have started a coffee company, and I love coffee. I drink a lot of coffee, and I didn't really think that – I mean I enjoyed their coffee and I enjoyed supporting them and I'd gotten used to drinking it. It's it's mail order. Uh, but I didn't really appreciate how good it was until I forgot to order some and it ran out and we had some Starbucks. So I made that and the next thing I knew, um, I was hid- hiding in the bathroom – well, short version, my wife absolutely lost her stuff because after drinking their coffee, the Starbucks was such crap, I had to lock myself in the bathroom and express order another pound. <laughs> I, I thought you were going somewhere else with that story. Oh, yeah. I could see where that was going to happen. I had this whole Walking Dead kind of line that I was going to try to work with where like you're hit, you get the, the door locked and you're in the bathtub, but I couldn't really pull it together at this point, I'm into my second vodka, and I just I couldn't get the story to work, so I bailed on it. Short version is De Espresso Libre. Uh, they're online, and it is phenomenal coffee for a good cause. Excellent. One of one one of the last uh, two two kind of things I had left. Uh, I'm not exact. I can't for the life of me remember the guy's actual name, but he's Harleywood.co on uh, Instagram. He also has a a YouTube channel, Harleywood. Um, he's a gun, gun guy. Um, came by, was super cool to, to see him again. He ordered a knife for his, his wife. Uh, nothing quite on the table was exactly what he wanted. So he, uh, special ordered something. And then, uh, Matt Christensen of CK knife works, uh, got to see him, even though he lives really close to me with the, the twin boys and stuff, just, can't get down there to see him as much as I'd like to, but came into him with at blade and um, he was looking at some of the, the knives on my table. He was wanting to get one that uh, he actually ended up getting the fillet knife uh, that I had on the table. Uh, so he was looking at that and one of his friends, Steve far uh, far few F A R N F E W on Instagram. He goes that the fillet knife's really sweet. And I said, yeah, Matt's uh, Matt was looking at that one too, really hard. And he goes, "Well, you just made my day." And he <laughs> whipped out whipped out some cash. And he goes, "When when Matt comes over here to pay for it, just hand it to him." <laughs> so when when Matt came over, I handed him the knife and said, "It's already been paid for." And uh, he goes, "It was Steve, wasn't it?" <laughs> and I go, "You got some really good friends there, man." And Steve said that Matt had done so much for him. Matt Matt helped me do some of my, I have a, a my first folding knife that's about 80% of the way done and haven't made it back down there for him to help me finish it. Uh, those two guys were, were great to see there down at Blade also. Speaking of guns, we're going to get off the topic a little bit because I recently got one of my Grail purchases. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I found a, uh, a Webley Mark VI the full-on Indiana Jones break top. So it was originally in uh, 455 Webley. It's a British cartridge. 
but I found one that had been reworked into 45 ACP. Okay. Um, ever since I saw Indiana Jones, the, the bridge scene where the guy's whipping the sword around and Indiana Jones just pulls out and shoots him. Uh huh. I have wanted one ever since. And I finally got one. That's a cool gun, man. Yeah. I, it was a giggly moment. Um, I heard that I heard, I don't know if it's actually true or not. Uh, but I heard that, uh, Harrison Ford totally ab libbed that scene. It was supposed to have this huge, huge knife battle yep. and, scene. And he was completely and, hung over and didn't want to do it. Well, I heard he was exhausted from all the filming that day in the, the hot sun. <laughs> and he just, he would just like shot him. And then they're like, well, that really works. <laughs> so you, they went with Your it. version sounds better. The version I heard was he was hung over. And he was supposed to have this huge sword fight scene, and he didn't want to do it, so he just drew the pistol and shot him. And George Lucas thought it was amazing, so they kept it in. Yeah. Well, maybe it was probably – the truth is usually somewhere in between, right? He was hung over in the hot sun. All right. So first of all, Stephen Fowler. Um, he's a, a member of the Georgia Guild. Um, he was also on Forge on Fire, but it's a – absolutely phenomenal bladesmith. And one of the things I love about him is he does both stock removal and smithing, which is pretty rare. You usually are either just one guy or the other. And uh, we were talking one time and um, this is going to surprise you, but I was giving him a little bit of a hard time. I know it's shocking. I mean, he's a mountain of a man. Why would I do that? But birds got to fly. Fish got to swim. And uh, he looked at me and said, I don't forge because it's superior. I forge because I like to hit shit with a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need to I need to do some of that at some point. I still haven't gotten around to there's a couple places around us that do blacksmithing lessons. So I've been told by a lot of people that's where to start. Just learning how to hit on mild steel and learning how to operate the, the forge and everything. I got a little bit of a lesson with the next guy I'm going to talk about, uh, Mark Hopper. Um, I'm going to go back down with Steven probably cause he's closer to me, but I'm of the opinion that every knife maker should know how to forge a knife. I do stock removal. I've got all my own reasons to include the, the steels that you can work with. But I think that every knife maker should know how to forge Partially just to have a connection to your roots, partially because there's there's stuff there to be learned. I mean, there's there's techniques there, there's shapes, there's patterns that will benefit you no matter how you make your knives. Um, so you don't have to be good at it, and you don't necessarily have to do it as your primary form. But I think every knife maker should be able to hit a hot piece of steel and and push it into a knife. That's definitely on my list of things that I, I have to learn. Um, it's a it's never-ending process, right? It, no, well, you'll never – if you ever think you've stopped learning, quit because you shouldn't be doing it anymore. If you don't realize that there's more for you to learn, you should not be in this industry. And my first knife I forged, and I did it with uh, Mark Hopper, and we've talked about the whole Citronella saga. Mm-hmm. If you haven't heard the story, go back to 002, listen to it. It's, it's riveting. It's, it's fabulous. Um, 
but Hart, Mark Hopper, he has been at the um, – there's this building in Atlanta called the Goat Farm, and that's where he's run his classes out of. And they have actually sold that building. It's going to be redeveloped, and he is trying to find his new shop. Um, so if you want to help out a really phenomenal, if I'm not mistaken, he is a master smith in England, France, and America. I mean, he is. Wow. So he's won uh, Forge and Fire. He's a phenomenal knife maker, but he is a master smith outside of knife making. Not a lot of people I know that are master smiths in three separate countries. He's one of them. If, uh, if if you have it in your heart to try and help somebody out, he's got to go fund me because he spent the last 10 years investing in his shop and not his portfolio. So he's had a little trouble with some of the banks where they say, well, you haven't made money in the last 10 years. And he'll go, well, I have outfitted a million-dollar shop in the last 10 years. And he's had trouble with the banks because they don't get the I've been reinvesting part. But he is uh, he's good people. So if you want to help him out, I'll uh, I'll find the link to his GoFundMe and put it down in the show notes. As he is trying to get together a little scratch to open his new shop before they bulldoze his current one. And then uh, the guys at Essie, you know, there's usually a little bit of a friction between the custom guys and the, the production guys. You know, they have been incredible to work with across the board. And I actually had a couple of people come to the booth this year that said, hey, the guys that Essie, they didn't quite have what I was looking for. They said I should come see you. And it is really rare in any industry where someone will send a customer. Well, they'll tell a customer, oh, we don't have what you want, but here's where you can go find it. Yep. And the guys at Essie will do that. And we had, uh, we had a fun conversation. They've got a no questions asked warranty. And we were talking about the, the first time I've had uh, I've had a knife break. I'm, I'm willing to admit that in public. A guy was using it; it broke. And we were talking about the fact that I I really freaked out. I mean, I I thought this was going to be the end of my career. The, my reputation was ruined. A knife I made. Somebody was using it, not the way that it was necessarily intended, but I made a knife and it broke. And when they contacted me. I replaced it. I didn't ask them how it happened. I didn't say what it did. I just replaced it. And he was talking about that's the best thing that could ever happen to you. I'm like, well, you know, I actually, I'm a little worried about this. And he said, no, now your warranty actually has value. Now when people say he's got a no questions asked warranty, he actually does it. And they were talking about that they've got a collection of knives that have broken I think it's 10 or 15 and it's stuff like um, a guy was using it for an anchor for his gear bag where he'd hammered it into a tree and then was hanging stuff off of it. But they've, uh, they've got a no questions asked warranty and they had a little display this year of all the knives that had broken. It was kind of fascinating to go over and look and see how people had misused these knives. And I guess I'm going off on a tangent here, aren't I? That's fine. But it was a cool display. Yeah, I saw that display. It was really, really cool. And considering the millions of knives that they make, that handful that had been broken, it's not too bad. I was actually surprised it wasn't more <laughs> with uh, how many they have out in the field. 
Well, and this is the first time I've admitted that a knife I made broke. And uh, his deal was if you make knives long enough, eventually one is going to break. It's just a statistical certainty. Yeah. And I was still a little uncomfortable. He's like, 10 years. You've made knives every working day of your life for 10 years, and only one has broken. And when you say it like that, I don't feel like such a failure. It's like, hey, you know, stuff happens. Things get misused. Yeah, that, that's not a bad track record. Do you have any idea how many knives you've actually made? I don't. Uh, for the first three or four years, I kept track. If I average it out, I think I'm at about uh, probably 3,700, 4,000 knives. That's a, that's a bunch of knives. I, I put the serial number of mine on each one. I'm at 215. I wish I had done that. Um, a couple of guys I've worked with can tell you exactly how many knives they make. And at one point I lost track. And rather than try to figure it out, I just kept going. But I wish I had kept track. I remember seeing something in on uh, Bark River's Facebook post that they, they make like 40000 a year. And I was like, wow, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of knives. Well, and they make yeah. off-brand knives too. So that's 40000 of their brand. Who knows how many knives they're making for other people. Also, I think I think he was talk, or I think he was talking about everything out of the shop. Oh, okay. So that might have it might have included the the other people they make knives for. That sounds like a much more legitimate number then. And I want to give a little love to my uh, uh, our soon to be co host guest guest host guest. What what title are we going to give the the third wheel that comes on this broadcast with us? Uh, special guest sounds good to me. You know, you can't get a special guest more special than Joe Flowers. Um, uh, yeah, he's an interesting guy. Now, I have to give a disclaimer. I've gone down to the jungle with him a couple of times. Um, so we've gotten to be pretty good friends. But he is a thoroughly entertaining guy. And when it comes to machetes and chopping implements, I don't think there's anybody in the industry that knows more than Joe Flowers does. Mm, very cool. Yeah, and he is, you know, take your Red Bull. If you're going to hang out with Joe, you got to be at 11. Cause I, I honestly do not think that guy sleeps. Yeah, I've only ever met him one time, and that was uh, in 2010 in the, the pit at Blade, and or 2012 when we were there at Blade, when we were all hanging out, Dylan and Andy and everybody out outside the, the front, and that was pretty cool getting to talk to him. He is a font of knowledge, but sometimes it's like trying to drink from a fire hose. Like he will dump so much information on you. Sometimes you can't process it all, but uh, he's a fun guy. We, uh, I took him, uh, he went camping with my boys and I one time and it was the perfect pattern because I would get up and hang out with Joe. And about the time I was exhausted, I would go to take a nap and my youngest son, Alex, would wake up, and he would go hang out with Joe. And about the time he was exhausted and wanted breakfast, my older son, Jack, would be getting up, and he would hang out with Joe. And about the time he was exhausted, I would have finished cooking breakfast for everybody, and we would eat, and then I would go do stuff with Joe. And we just had to work in a rotation because any one person would be exhausted by him. But the three of us could kind of tag out and keep Joe entertained for an entire day. That's nice. And then 
I hope to talk more about these guys. Matter of fact, I really want to get them on the podcast. Um, in general, the people at Knife Rights, but uh, specifically Doug Ritter. Um, yeah. If you are allowed to carry a knife in public, it is probably because Doug Ritter was involved. They have done more to protect our rights as as knife owners and users than I think anybody else in the country. In fact, I think they're worth their I think they I think there's enough there for an entire another show, so I'm gonna throw this out as a teaser. But if you're listening to this show right now, go check out Knife Rights. You're gonna thank me. Um, they are a phenomenal group of people. Sometimes they tend towards some pretty hideous Hawaiian shirts. But with the exception of that, they're a really good group of people. Yeah. I remember seeing a bunch of them walking around. You know, that started with Crenshaw and it just kind of spread from there. And, you know, of course, of course it's the, the nuclear engineer in the fluorescent green um, Crocs and Hawaiian shirt that kind of sets the fashion pattern for a, a group of knife guys. Yep. You talking about Joe Flowers, that reminded me of one more person that I talked to uh, one of the nights at the pit, uh, Brian Griffin. What was his Wade Forum handle? Mistwalker. Oh, okay. And, uh, got to talk to him for a while. He's He's been through a lot, but uh, it was really good to see one of him. He's got a super great uh, outlook on knife and knife design. He he worked with, uh, he had a couple couple patterns with tops, I believe. He, uh, he, super cool guy. He is very good people. And uh, he still writes for a couple of magazines. Um, and it's, it's fun to just talk to. And I hope I'm not letting the cat out of the bag. I'm pretty sure I'm allowed to talk to about this, but he's doing a, a, a photography project that is going to be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was teasing me about that at the, in the pit. Uh, all right. I'm going to go ahead and brag and tell you that he's using one of my knives. Awesome. Yeah. You talked to, you talked about possibly using a small Santoku of mine also. So that was pretty cool. Damn it. I'm less cool yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, he, he had the the protagonist, I think was the name of it, the Andy made that's gonna be one of the knives in there. He was he was showing that around quite a bit too. That was pretty cool. But he said he's he's going for calendar year twenty twenty one, uh when he was talking yeah, about that's, about that's it. the one I'm doing too. Very cool. Uh so that leads us into more of the pit. Um this year I think it was it was managed a lot better with the kind of splitting it up. Um, it was a really good that there wasn't a wedding <laughs> this year uh, <laughs> the, I, that they were using that, that balcony area. I feel for the poor individuals who came up for their wedding and saw an enormous group of heavily armed knife enthusiasts drinking mm-hmm. just down from their reception. Yeah. Well, and this is, uh, yeah, the, I've never heard of any other convention or anything where people get together like this in the the lobby. So it's pretty, pretty unique and something that I, if I was having my wedding, I wouldn't have thought about it. Yeah. I I would have been talking about a refund if I walked out and saw, we'll just say that. (laughs) Yeah. One of the other things that was really good with that, that whole situation that made it a lot better was not having any baseball games where they, they utilize those parking garages for the, the Braves. Yeah, um, it was much better, better, better managed crowd. And I remember 
So, you know, there's a, a sunken bar right there in the lobby, and that was the pit. Mm-hmm. And early in Blade show, a little bit before me, it had, it had spilled out when I started going. But that was where everybody kind of hung out. But there was a point where the smokers would take over the entire front of the lobby. And they had two bars with maybe four bartenders total trying to serve thousands of people. So that had gotten so backed up that everybody went out and bought beer and liquor. And there would be coolers lined up all throughout the uh, the lobby area, out front. Everybody sitting on their coolers, drinking. There was no crowd management. There was no flow management. And it was just borderline Wild West. Yeah. Last year and this year, they've done a great job of adding a bunch of extra bars getting kind of a flow plan, getting the crowd managed. You know, it was less of that um, overpopulated backyard party and more of a, a proper event feel this year. Yeah, they had a – I didn't actually go up to the, the balcony area, but apparently they had a, a pretty good uh, craft brew uh, company coming in that, that ran stuff up there that a lot of people seem to be super happy with. Like on the second floor. Last year, I think they had a meeting of like a, a subgenre, subgenre, genre. Yeah, that's the right word. Um, of like beer fanatics that took over that area and staked it as their own. And I only know that because I walked by and saw a buddy of mine, and he handed me a beer that was was incredibly complex, and it had notes of pine bark and forest floor. Um, that was really fabulous. I mean, it was a, a phenomenal handcrafted hippie beer. I would recommend it if I could remember the name of it. I was still one of the guys that walked around with a cooler down on the, the first floor, though. I had it properly labeled up with my dogwood knives uh, sticker and had the Knife Perspective podcast and Cage Daily Knives and uh, a bunch of my friends that uh, were there. I was trying to grab some of their stickers and they dropped them off. So they got stuck on the side of the cooler. So uh, it's on its way to, to becoming a, a thing. Yeah. I would say a monument, a, a monument to all things sharp and pointy and good. Yeah. yeah I managed to get a really good uh, deal on a Yeti cooler right, right before blade. So it was one of the wheeled ones. Uh, so that was, that was great. And in the in the pit, I got to talk to uh, a bunch of really cool people, and I can't remember his name at the moment, but uh, Viper, uh, he does Viper holsters. Yeah, uh, Phillips, uh, Philip Nichols. Uh, he does he does a lot of my Kydex for me too. Yeah, really cool guy. Great to talk with him, police officer, and uh, he he's very he's good people. Great to- mm-hmm. So. It was it was great to have a good conversation with him. I, th- I think I covered most of the most of the people. And sorry for anybody that I talked to that I forgot to to mention. Just so much stuff going on; it's hard to keep track of all of it. Um, if I didn't mention you, it was because it was it was too personal a conversation. I didn't want to share it with the general public. I just, I just wanted to keep that between you and I. Yeah. Not because I'm I'm not like Kyle who just forgets people. I remembered each and every one of you. I just I don't want to share that with the public. Nice cover. Oh, thank you. 
So um, I think that's uh, – you got anything else Blade Show related? That's that's all the things I had written down. That's pretty much it. Um, the little cursor is at the end of our notes. So, uh, oh, wow, man, we're – an hour and 14 minutes we've kind of gone over uh thank you everybody for hey, what are you doing you ain't the host you're the co-host you go sit in the co-host chair and you let the host handle this stuff we got that i can just i'll just stop the recording now oh shit <laughs> hey, hey guys thanks for joining us for night perspective <laughs> Uh, be sure to tune in next, uh, whatever time period we're releasing these for episode 004. Uh, thank y'all very much for joining us and we look forward to seeing y'all next time. Yeah. Thank you everybody. And, uh, it was a great show and thanks for everybody that stopped by and, um, and especially the people that gave us some great feedback on the first couple of episodes that people listened to them on their way to the show. It was great to hear people were excited about it especially the guys that talked about how awesome I am. I love hearing that. Yeah. Don't stroke your ego too much. Dan. <laughs> you know, you'll go blind if you do that. <laughs> That's one word for it. All right. Thanks everybody. All right. See y'all later. Well, let's take it to the edge. Cause that's what's expected. In this discussion, this is the night prospective. Get to the point We're gonna talk about